Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all, and I'm so honored and grateful to be given the opportunity to uh, preach from God's Word with you this morning. I'm grateful for Pastor Brian and, and Ross and, and Hunter and all the other leadership, Mark as well, the leadership that we have here at the church uh, are wonderful pastors, and they have a heart for people, and uh, they have mentored me, and I'm so grateful for them. Uh, if you have your Bible, why don't you go ahead and find your spot in John chapter 11. We're going to pick up in verse 17. Um, uh, whenever I was thinking about what I wanted to, you know, share this morning, I, I prayed and sought the Lord, and a lot of times people will just ask you, well, what has God been saying? You know, if I, if I seek uh, certain mentors and, uh, you know, I'm like, hey, I've got a chance to, to preach this Sunday coming up, you know, uh, and I'm, I'm just praying through what to speak about, and a lot of times the follow-up question will be, what has God put on your heart? And, uh, well, have you ever had a, a, a passage or a verse that's really just stuck with you and got you through a season? Uh, maybe it's just me, but over the last year, uh, I've, I've, after I graduated from seminary, I served as a hospital chaplain. It's a really interesting uh, area of ministry, uh, and over, over that year, that period of a year, I really uh, focused on passages of Scripture that had the terms pastor or shepherd in them, which is what pastor means, because the, the field or the, the discipline of being a chaplain is for the most part called pastoral care. And so I figured it would be really important if I sought the Lord and what it means to be a good pastor and a good shepherd, and immediately what came to my mind and my heart is the words that Jesus said about himself and him being the good shepherd. And so I looked to him as our, our and my good shepherd in order to steward that calling on my life and be a good shepherd to other people as well under the authority of Christ. And so in uh, John chapter 10, verse 14, it's the second time Jesus says it, but he does say, I am the good shepherd. And then he continues and he says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And so I read that, uh, this passage, and, con and, and it continued on and into verse, uh, chapter 11, and I saw a great example of Jesus living out what it means to be a good shepherd. And so uh, that's where we find ourselves today in this passage, John chapter 11, verses 17 through 44. It's probably a very familiar passage to you, especially if you grew up in church, the raising of Lazarus. Um, and so I'd, look to, I'd like to look at this text of Scripture, however, from another angle, from the angle of what it means to be a good shepherd and, and uh, looking to the example of Christ in this passage as the good shepherd. And so this passage will give us a picture of the earthly ministry of Christ in order to answer the question then, what does it mean to know the good shepherd? As again, he said in chapter 10, verse 14, I am the good shepherd, and my, uh, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. And so what does it mean to know the good shepherd? So uh, before we read in our main passage for John chapter 11, verses 17 through 44 this morning, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are good. And as we just sang about, you are the only one worthy of praise you turn graves into gardens. You turn death into life. You bring bondage into freedom. 
and you saved my soul, and you saved the lives of so many people here today, and every one of us can testify to your goodness. And so as we study your word today, let us turn our eyes to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let us be encouraged by what it means to know you and put in our hearts a desire to grow deeper into a relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So in John chapter 11, verses 17 and following, if you would follow along with me as we go. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had just been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. Having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews were with her in the house, consoling her, or who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had just been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there is already a stench because he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this, so that, you, so that they may believe you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in cloth. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. What a powerful passage that is. 
Oh, amen. That's beautiful. Uh, as we look at what it means to know the good shepherd, we first see that knowing the good shepherd means that Jesus is present. That's our first point today. And I want to give you some context. I, I realize we jumped right in the middle of the passage. I skipped the first 16 verses, primarily for the sake of time. And so just to give you a quick run through, Jesus receives word in verses 1 through 3 that his dear friend Lazarus had become ill. Jesus was in a distant land. He was not near Jerusalem. He was at least a day's uh, travel away uh, in, uh, across the Jordan. And uh, this is because in chapter 10, as I talked about earlier, I mentioned that Jesus made statements like, I am the good shepherd. Uh, he also made statements like, I am the door, and also I am one with God. This made the Jewish uh, audience very angry because he was claiming to be deity. He was claiming to be God, and Jesus is God, and we know that, and we praise him for that, uh, but it's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people. And so they, uh, the Jewish people at this time, especially when Jesus was sharing, uh, clung to their religion and not their Lord. And so uh, Jesus heard that his dear friend Lazarus had become ill. And so by the time that that messenger might have even come to Jesus, he probably was already dead. And Jesus, in his omniscience, knew that Lazarus had died. He said so in verse 14, when the disciples are very confused about why they would risk traveling this rugged terrain to go into Bethany, which was just about two miles out of Jerusalem, and then also risk uh, being arrested uh, by the Jewish crowd that uh, disagreed with the claims that Jesus was making. And yet, he also knew what the outcome would be with this encounter with raising Lazarus from the dead. And he did this to glorify the Lord and also to help the faith of his followers. And so uh, that's the beauty of knowing the good shepherd, that we are known by him. And he promises his followers that he will be with them, he will be with us until the end of the age, as we read about in Matthew 28, verse 20. So uh, if we move forward into our main passage this morning, then we, we find ourselves in verse 20. And uh, Martha heard that Jesus was coming and she went out to meet him. She makes an interesting statement in verse 21. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Her statement then begs the question, was what she said to Jesus a word of faith or a word of rebuke? Was she accusing Jesus or was she recognizing him for who he is? There are different commentators that believe different things. However, I would like to submit to you that she recognizes that Jesus has the power to heal and in the emotion of her grief and in her trouble, she can still confesses the lordship of Jesus, very similar to when Peter confesses that Jesus is Lord and the Christ, the Messiah, in Matthew 16, verse 16. So Jesus is working in this situation to further reveal his work of redemption but we shouldn't overlook the power of presence here. So he does say to her, I am the resurrection, I am the life, your brother will rise again. And she's like, yes, I know that's a forward thing, but recognize too that Jesus is speaking in the present tense. And there is uh, a really important, before we get, before I get way ahead of myself, it's really important here to recognize though that Jesus went out of his way to come back and be present with this troubled family because of his dear friend. 
Has there ever been a time where you have just needed someone to just be with you and not say anything or not do anything, not to try to fix the situation, but to just be with you? And of course, the situation is different in this passage, of course, because Jesus is actually going to quite literally fix the situation. I wonder how Lazarus felt, you know, he's up in heaven, and then uh, God's like, you know, we don't normally do this, but sorry, you have to go back. Um, Whoops. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I learned that one simple thing of being present with people is probably the most basic and one of the most profound things we could offer other people. We could follow the example of Jesus and being the good shepherd by being there with others. I could, whenever I was in the hospital, I learned that I can bear witness to people's pain and grief and struggle and uh, recovery. And we experience, this, we experience connection in those moments, at least I did. And when we are the hands and feet and when we follow the example of Christ by being present, we point others to him in his goodness. Don't overlook the power of presence. And Jesus promises his presence here with us now. This leads us to our second point, though. As, we ta- as I mentioned, caring for people, being present is, a, is a, a very profound and simple way to exemplify Jesus with others. But even to take it, take it a step further, Jesus, knowing Jesus as the good shepherd means that he is caring. And we see this in our next uh, section here, particularly in uh, verses 28 through 30. Uh, Six, I believe, is what I have up there. 35, excuse me. Jesus does not just sit idly by and watch his people struggle when they go through it. He cares for people as the good shepherd. He cares for the world, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And he cares for his flock. John 10, verses 11 through 10 say this. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come, this is Jesus talking, so that they may have life and have it in abundance. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So as our narrative continues, Mary fetches, or I'm sorry, Martha fetches Mary, who was sitting alone as she mourned. Now, I'm uh, maybe if you've grown up in the church or you've, if you've studied scripture before, or maybe recognize at least Mary and Martha here. They are the, the Mary and Martha that we see in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, where, uh, and then also later on in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, where Jesus is dining with both of them, and Martha is running around the house trying to get things taken care of, and Mary is knelt before him, and she sits in his presence, and she even anoints his feet with oil. Notice the differences in personality between the two, even in our passage today. Martha is more of the doer. She, go, she goes when she hears that Jesus is coming and goes out to him. She wants to seek the help that she knows is there. And, and Mary is more of the dweller, the abider. And normally as people, we t- have a tendency to lean toward one or the other. But let me submit to you that we need a balance of both, and this requires some self-awareness on our part. We need to know when our tendencies kind of kick in and we want to react in a certain way instead of respond. And, and you know, and so as the book of James calls, uh, calls us to, we need to be hearers of the word and doers of the word. 
Mary makes the same statement that Martha does whenever uh, Jesus, uh, or when she eventually comes to Jesus, and yet she recognizes the healing power of Christ. Her posture is a little different because of her personality, but yet she is still recognizing the lordship of Christ and his ability uh, to heal. And yet, her brother's dead, and she's overwhelmed, and she's sad and broken. And Jesus takes all of this in. He sees the mourners, which is pretty customary for that time and culture, by the way. He sees the people mourning and wailing uh, with God's people or with uh, Mary and Martha over the loss of uh, Lazarus. And he, he takes all this in. He sees uh, Martha distressed and, and Mary overwhelmed and overcome with grief. And then we have the shortest verse in our English translation. Jesus wept. He, that, and, and then it says that he was moved, deeply moved. You know, it's really interesting. The actual word here for deeply moved in our, our English translation, some of your translations might actually have this word and may not say deeply moved or troubled. Uh, whenever you start to look at the language, it actually says indignant. With the picture of like an angry horse snorting. For our sake, I'm not going to try to emulate that through this mic. And so there are two different views as to what Jesus is indignant toward. It's a kind of a strange response uh, to be angry in the midst of this sadness and grief. Some scholars say that Jesus was angry by the lack of faith, uh, by the mourners who were uh, grieving in a sense that did not reflect any hope, in the resurrection especially. And there's another view which I tend to gravitate toward, and, and that is that uh, Jesus is actually uh, indignant toward the human condition. He sees the loss. He's experienced his, one of his best friends has just died, and he's angry. And this sounds a little silly, but I've learned one thing over the last year as a chaplain, and a lot of times, anger is the bodyguard to sadness. And so Jesus is grieving himself. And... Isaiah 53 verse 3 gives us an interesting picture as to the the life that Jesus has on earth, foreshadowing this life that Jesus will have on earth, and giving a picture of how even Jesus will experience the human condition. It says, He was deeply despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. And so God has hardwired us as we are made in his image to have emotion. And a lot of times, especially as our culture teaches us, we try to stifle those emotions, especially if it's anger. And yet Jesus uses that. Jesus uses his anger. Jesus builds empathy. He he expresses empathy and he uses his anger. He uses his sadness to move forward and and connect with the people around him. And then, of course, then it leads him ultimately uh, to raising Lazarus from the dead. You know, uh, I have a a story about one of the times that I was meeting with a patient in the hospital. And uh, this will stick with me. And uh, it, it really speaks to 
uh, verse 35, Jesus wept. Uh, I don't think, I hope I don't ever forget this story uh, because it really speaks to me in several ways. Primarily, though, the importance of having good theology. See, I, uh, I met after getting a, a consult uh, from a, a coworker to go meet with this patient. It was an elderly uh, lady. She was a widow in her late 80s. And uh, the person that uh, pointed me to her said that she was just very depressed and distressed. And so I said, okay, I'll go, I'll go talk with her. And so I went and sat down and she starts telling me about how she fell and uh, she's again a widow and she's living in an assisted nursing home and so, uh, or assisted living facility. And so she uh, gets up from bed to go use the restroom one evening and uh, she becomes very disoriented and ends up in her living room and, and it's dark and the lights are out and, and next thing you know, she falls and she falls on a lamp and uh, her call light is kind of out of reach and so she's in her house by herself over this broken lamp and she's trying to find this call light and, um, and so she's like, her arms are kind of like being cut and bruised all over the glass and I just winced as I was hearing this story and uh, and eventually she got the light and was able to get help. And so then I was now sitting with her across from her in the room as she recovered from that. And uh, she started crying when she told me. And then she apologized. I said, why are you apologizing? She's like, and then she, she said, well, you know. And it's pretty funny. I've had a lot of people while I was working in the hospital. You come into contact with all sorts of people from all sorts of walks of life, and that's fine. But she said, you know, whenever a lot of people say, you know, a lot of times I had no idea what they were about to say or what they were talking about. And I think that they didn't either. And they were just hoping that I would somehow fill in the space. Uh, nonetheless, she said, you know, it's not right for a Christian to be sad. Like, where'd you get that? And, uh, you know, she started, she was wiping her tears and She's like, well, I was talking with a, a dear family member of mine who I know to be a solid Christian, and whenever I was telling her about all the hardship that I've been going through, she was like, I feel so alone. I have no one. All my friends and family have died, you know, and I'm just here, and I'm trying to figure out what God wants with me now, and, and it's hard. And uh, she was telling her close family member this, and she got onto her. Now you stop that. Don't you know God has a plan? You know, Jesus tells us to be happy. And my heart broke for her. I pointed her to this verse. Jesus wept. I said, you know, if our Lord and Savior can cry, he holds space for you to cry as well, and that's okay. Never forget that. I'll never forget that. And uh, That was just... Uh, that, that's going to be a moment that sticks with me for a while, I think. We don't, uh, Christ doesn't call us to stifle our emotions. He's actually hardwired us to have them, and we need to learn how to manage them, sure, and use them to his glory. But we shouldn't try to hide them, because eventually they have, a, they have a way of finding themselves, or of, of coming out at least. So I, I want to make mention, uh, the first two points of uh, this morning, Jesus is present and Jesus is caring. As uh, what it means to know the good shepherd. They work together, just as the last two will. But I really want to kind of summarize these first two points here with Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10, because I believe they really get at what the Lord, is, or how the Lord is present and caring for us. 
It says in verses 7 through 10 of Psalm 139, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in jail, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Jesus is the good shepherd and he knows us and we know him and part of what it means to know him is that he is here, he is present, Jesus is present and Jesus is caring. And thirdly, knowing the good shepherd means that Jesus is life. Finally, the passage, the section of our passage with the the miracle in it. Martha and Mary expected to see Lazarus uh, raised in a future resurrection. They said so. She said, and Martha says in verse 24, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And how does Jesus respond in verse 25? I am. One of the I am statements of the major seven major I am statements that Jesus makes while ministering that's recorded in John especially. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And so he says this in present tense. It's perfect. He is, uh, he is life, he was life, he is life, and he will ever be life, and that will never cease. And so, uh, excuse me, but little did they know that Jesus was speaking about the present there, and so uh, that's why I've made all of our points present tense. It's not just that Jesus was present, or has been present, or will be present, he is always present. It's not that Jesus has once been caring or that Jesus will care. It's that he is always caring. It's not that Jesus was life or that he lived or that he just will eventually be life, but that he is life. He is the resurrection and the life. They are present realities. And so as his followers, then we are called to walk in the newness of life. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verses 14 through 15 say this, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And so Jesus weeps. He's deeply moved. He's indignant toward the human condition. He is uh, saddened by all that's around him and the grief of his dear friend and then he asked to see where the body is. And so in a customary, or as was customary for burial in that culture and time, uh, especially families of prominence or wealth would have a tomb where multiple family members could be buried uh, near one another. And so Lazarus undoubtedly was just buried in a tomb, in a family tomb. And a lot of times to keep grave robbers or animals out, they would roll a stone over it. And so they removed the stone, much against the advice of Martha, because, I mean, if a body was dead for four days, it, they didn't embalm. And so it would already begin the decomposing process. And so, uh, you know, and they would, you know, wrap uh, bodies in linen loosely and fill the, the layers with spices to try to counteract the odor a little bit, but, but still. He's been dead for four days. And Jesus, what he, what he does first is, we shouldn't glance past this, he prays. 
He prays a a prayer of thanksgiving to the Father. In verse uh, 41 and following, he says, Father, I thank you that you heard me. And so he prays the prayer of thanksgiving uh, to the Father, underlining the importance of prayer for his followers. He even says so. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this, so that they may believe you sent me. And so, uh, despite being irrefutably dead for four days, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead by simply telling Lazarus to come out. By the power of his word, Lazarus is lifted up and raised from the dead. He is no longer dead, but he is alive. What a beautiful picture of the work that Christ can do in each and every one of our lives today. Words are powerful, especially the word of God. If you're here today and don't know the Lord as your Savior, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 9 through 10 says that if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus up from the grave and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. It is by the power of the word that Jesus created the universe and set it into motion. It is by the power of the word of Christ that the the storm and the seas were calmed. It is by the power of the word of Christ that people were healed during his time on the earth. It is by the word of Christ that he uh, finished, he declared finished the work that he did to reconcile all of humanity to God on the cross And it was by the word of Jesus that you can be identified as righteous in the eyes of God today. He'll give you a new name. And your identity is no longer all of your mistakes or your sin. But in Christ, you are a new creation. Loved by God. A member of the flock. And would you respond to his calling today? Our fourth and final point Knowing the good shepherd means Jesus is freedom. In our last verse, verse 44, Jesus shouts with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. Excuse me. So, in response to the authority of Christ over death by his spoken command, Lazarus arises. Then Jesus speaks again, telling the people present there to unbind him, to free him. And so, the good shepherd is here. He cares for you. He is life and he is freedom. Are you alone? Call out to Jesus because he will make his presence known to you. Are you depressed? Call out to Jesus for he will be a companion to you. Are you stressed and overwhelmed? Call out to Jesus for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Are you discouraged by the ways of this world and our socio-political climate? Call out to Jesus because he is king. Are you worried about the destruction and conflict that happens all around us? Call out to Jesus because he is the prince of peace. Are you feeling the weight of how many times you mess up? Call out to Jesus. He is a friend of sinners. Are you bound by addiction? Call out to Jesus and begin the path of recovery. He sets people free. Are you struggling in relationships? Call out to Jesus and experience reconciliation. Are you lost and trying to find purpose? Call out to Jesus and he will save you. You can be a member of his flock. He'll give you restoration, renewal, and freedom. 
This is available to you today if you call on his name, believe Jesus died and rose on our behalf for our sin and is alive today. And so in a moment, uh, we're going to have a time of uh, response. And I invite you as we sing here, maybe where you're at or maybe you need to come forward, maybe God has pulled on your heart today to respond to the Spirit calling out to you saying, you need to put your pride down. You need to stop trying to figure things out on your own or stop banking on your good, outweighing your bad because it won't happen and give it all to the foot of the cross because Jesus paid it all and he will make you new and he will make you clean. And if uh, you're here today and you are a follower of Christ, rejoice in him. I invite you to, uh, as God has led you today, respond in your own heart as the Spirit has led and then also to sing with gratitude because he is the good shepherd. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for your word that you've given us here this morning. Your, your word is uh, holy and, and good for us as we seek to follow you with our lives and know more about you and live in obedience to you. And I just pray for anyone here, in here today that might be struggling, that, that, that anyone in here that might have been told that their emotions don't matter, or what they're going through is insignificant, or maybe that feels alone. I pray that you as the good shepherd would make your presence known to them and that would bear witness to what they're experiencing and that you would wrap them in your embrace because your grace and your mercy is sufficient. You are love. Let us never grow weary of that. Let us not ever take that for granted, your goodness. We give this time to you now. We love you, Lord, and that's because you first loved us. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.